0: Welcome back to another edition of the Edge Podcast. Managing Editor Brendan Slaughter joined, as always, by recruiting analyst Jared Hallis and our special guest this week to talk a little bit of everything, but most notably Oregon State's schedule release, former Oregon State wide receiver Timmy Hernandez in the house. Timmy, good to hear from you, my man. How's life? How are you doing, buddy?
1: Doing good. Nothing, Nothing to complain about over here and excited for the season to start back up.
0: Absolutely, man. Just kind of uh, before we dive into it, just kind of catch us up. What's uh, what's been up with you uh, since you graduated? Obviously, we saw uh, earlier from your nice background, you back in Arizona. Uh, what are you doing to stay busy these days? Uh, right now, I'm you
1: know still still chasing that that dream right now, and uh, obviously not a great time for free agents with you know how everything's gone and there's no CFL. You know who knows the XFL? Still, you know, they say they're going to play in 2022, but that's still a while away and. You know, right now, you just kind of keep pushing and see where things go. But, you know, right now, I don't know exactly uh, where the path forward
0: lies. Yeah, I think I think that's safe to say that a lot of people are in that boat right now, whether it be... Yeah, uh, you know, I, I don't with- got too much to complain about. You know, I, I
1: I think that COVID hurt me a lot less than, you know, a lot of people out there. So, you know, you got to look at
0: it in a positive spin that way absolutely and again uh, that positivity one thing i always remember timmy you know uh, whenever you know whenever we do an interview or whatever you know not everyone always want to talk to the media but timmy always took time man he always had a smile on his face and then he could back it up with pretty good stuff on the field too just how much uh, how much do you miss uh, oregon state man how much do you kind of miss that environment and obviously uh, your last year was coach smith's first year you've seen kind of what the program started to build on his behalf just uh how excited have you been to kind of keep an eye on things from afar now?
1: Yeah, last year was a little, uh, a little strange at first to watch, you know, seeing all those people, you know, having that kind of backseat that I hadn't really been in for, you know, last, the previous three years, and just to see college football on TV from a different perspective, where you know every single player on the field, and it was just, it was weird and a little surreal experience watching that. But yeah, you know, as the year went on, I got kind of used to it, and it was just exciting to see the guys. and, see the growth they had last year under coach smith and I, I think that this this year they have a chance to do some things that you know i don't really know exactly how it will all pan out especially with how bowl games are working out and what the certain you know, requirements to get there will be but i think that they'll have a better year than people are expecting
0: yeah we'll, we'll certainly get into it later including uh, a very <laughs> um Very low, Vegas uh, over-under on Oregon State's win total this season. I'm not sure if either one of you guys have got a chance to take a look at that, but we'll get into that a little bit later because that's all sorts of heinous, in my opinion. But uh, we'll get to that a little bit later. Um, Timmy, for you, uh, just before we kind of dive in and start talking about uh, some commitment news, uh, Jared as well, um, just kind of uh, what has this year kind of been like for you? You know, you mentioned you're still kind of chasing down that dream. Um, you know, how have you kind of been staying ready? You know, staying in best preparation you can for that. You know, while still trying to, you know, navigate this uncertain time we're in.
1: Well, uh, back in March, I was actually at Oregon State's pro day with you know, Jake, Isaiah, Noah, all those guys. um So that was cool. And I actually talked to a few teams after that. And so that was kind of cool because last year I had only talked to some scouts leading up to the draft. I talked to a handful of teams, but I actually talked to one of the coaches. And so for me, that was a big deal to actually get, talk to a position coach on a team. And then, you know, we were actually one of the last ones to go uh, of all the pro days across the country. I remember after the pro day, I was sitting in my hotel room watching the Mavericks game when uh, Rudy Gobert like, <laughs> was coughing on microphones and things. And that's where everything oh, started going down. And all the pro days were canceled. But so luckily, I did get to do that. But, you know, there wasn't really anything to, to piggyback that off of because there was no rookie mini camps. There were some Canadian teams there that expressed interest, but they shut down immediately too. Uh, right. Even like arena or any type of you know combat or anything you could do wasn't really a option. So you know, I came back to Arizona. All the gym shut down too, and so it's kind of been doing my own thing. And you know, I wasn't in a good position because I I trained with my brother a lot in high school, who was a really good trainer. And then the one benefit of having two coaching staffs so at Oregon State is I also had two strength coaches, so I could kind of you know, pick off certain things from coach Mac and coach Simon that I learned and things that I like to help me, you know, focus on bringing up my weaknesses, in my own game. So I just, you know, I tried to, you know, I, you, 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 like to say I have good positivity. So I try to try <laughs> to use that and say, how can I make the situation the best as I can? And that's what I was just trying to focus on you know, doing that every single day and just hope for the best and see where, see where this goes.
0: No, certainly. And and, and again, uh, you know, you got to have positivity, especially, you know, as you kind of uh, work your way through, you know, this whole thing we got going on right now and just about every aspect of life. And, you know, that's uh, that's good to hear, Timmy, that the, the dream is still alive, man. I, I, I love to hear that. And uh, you definitely uh, wish all the best luck to you because uh, you deserve a shot, man, for sure. It was. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, it's been it's been fun to keep tabs on you, man, for sure. Let's go ahead and kind of transition uh, now into uh, the commitment news just so we can kind of talk about it uh, with Jared now that we're – it's fresh, brand new. Oregon State lands a 2021 wide receiver, uh, Jimmy Balson out of Texas. Uh, Jared, we've covered this in many different ways over the last, you know, 24 hours or so. You know, I wrote a column. You had uh, analysis and the recap story as well. Um, You know, we'd been talking about it, you know, before his commitment, you know, that this – you know, wide receiver was still a need for them, you know, in this class, albeit a small class. And we both kind of had our eye on Valson late in the process, but he had a big offer sheet. And I think Oregon State, uh, they, they certainly uh, got to be uh, doing some air high fives around the Valley Football Center right now for uh, locking him down, just because uh, more ways than one, not only a talented kid, but another talented kid and the second straight wide receiver out of
2: Texas in two back to back cycles. Absolutely. I mean, I kind of hinted at it, or not hinted at it, but mentioned it a little bit. uh, Updated the the whole meet the commit story today. Uh, So in brief, I kind of just said, you know, when when you you know you're going to have a smaller class, you're you're trying to pick up guys who you think could come in and have as substantial an impact as possible. Uh, You know, seeing them pick up some great receivers, you know, throughout these past few recruiting cycles, and as you mentioned, you know, dip into Texas to find those guys. So when you, see, uh, when you see a guy 6'3", like Jimmy, who's who's I honestly put a, l- a little bit more weight on than we have him at right now as well, you know, it's it's really exciting. That's the kind of prototype that, that they really needed to add in this class. He, he's definitely got the height, and he's a track star. You know, so it's definitely a, a threat and a red zone threat as well, just because of the height. Just an overall really great pickup. Like you said, a lot of other good teams in there in the mixed form had a really impressive top eight. I mean, Goodness, he had schools from all different conferences on there. So awesome staff and just a really, really good one. Uh, You know, kind of not necessarily round out the class, but, you know, a receiver was something they needed to have in this one. So he was a great addition.
0: Yeah, you know, I'm curious to get to Timmy's perspective on this too because, Jared, you mentioned the height as well. That's something the Beavers needed. You know, after Isaiah Hodgins, you know, declared and, you know, you kind of see the status of the room heading into this year, they got a lot of speed. Maybe maybe the most speed we've seen uh, an Oregon State receiver group, you know, in some time, but not a lot of height, you know, as far as, you know, length goes. And now you bring in a guy in Valson who's listed at 6'3". Maybe not quite that tall, but again, still that long, tall frame. Um, just, you know, how much, uh, how key do you think Valson's commitment was for the Beavs, Timmy? And then um, do you think it's big for them to get somebody with a little bit of height in there just so you kind of have that bigger, bigger target? Yeah, I, th- I think height is definitely something you can add to a
1: group, just see, especially in the red zone. Throw have just having that presence to potentially throw it up. It can kind of force defenses to be a little scared to just throw that corner on the island. But you know, I do think it's um, sometimes fans can get a little over the edge on recruiting and just you know the hype, like you guys said. And when you come to a place like Oregon State, you really gotta. You got to know what your strength is. And I think that comes more from Coach Mack in the weight room and Coach Smith bringing guys up. So I, I think you, while it's great to you know, get those guys from Texas and get those athletes, ultimately, ultimately you do need those guys to win. I think it's about how you teach them to use that height, to teach them to use that athleticism. Because in reality, at Oregon State, you're not going to be able to out-recruit Oregon. You're not going to be able to out-recruit USC. And so I think you need to sometimes temper expectations for kids and uh i guess we'll, we'll see how he does hopefully he can come in whenever i don't know how the recruiting's going to work next year with people yeah. you know, with freshmen coming in on the campus but uh yeah i think it's good that they're they're in texas in there I and mean, my brother coaches at tcu so i don't know if uh, he he had an offer from tcu or not but if he did i'll have to dig my brother a little bit on that
2: <laughs> i'm actually curious to ask you uh yeah, we talked to Sam Spiegelman, who's uh, kind of a, a national guy, but he really covers the, the, I guess, central, south area. Uh, mm-hmm. Texas is one of his big regions. And he mentioned, and, and I think, you know, you have to expect a lot of these kids out of high school to, uh, like you said, be, be a little raw. And you're going to have to coach them most of the time. How, I mean, on average – would you say how how raw is a kid when they first come to college how much coaching do they need to get to you know be ready to to actually make plays on the field
1: uh a lot i, I would say the very very vast majority i mean there every year there's going to be those guys that yep. you know Capeon Thibodeau from Oregon like last last year um but i'm mean, really looking back to my three years there I mean, how many like true freshmen really stepped up a lot to play and were ready i mean i would say Munchie. I'm curious. My, my, yeah. yeah my, my senior year, Jamar, I don't know if anyone else calls him Munchie. But, um, <laughs> the real ones got you, Timmy. The um, real ones, one's got you. Played a lot. David Morris played a lot as a freshman, but you know, even Isaiah, just from his freshman year to sophomore year, was, was night and day. Yep. And just coming in, and he had a whole winter time too. So even from January when he came in to when the season started, it was a huge difference. And many freshmen don't even get that opportunity. So I think it's going to be hard. And like, again, to bring up COVID, I, I find it hard to believe there's going to be too many early enrollees this, this time around. And so next year is probably going to have the temper expectations even more for true freshmen. And, uh, you know, I hope I'm wrong with this kid. I hope he comes in and lights up the world, but uh, it's, it's hard for people to realize really how difficult it is to step in and catch up to college game speed and, you know, I, I think that people a lot of times look at some of the Heisman winners that were freshmen and think that everyone can do that. But you know, take John Menzel, for example. He won the Heisman as a freshman, but he was a redshirt freshman and an early enrollee. So he was uh, enrolled in Texas and um, had the spring ball, registered the whole right. next year, another spring ball. So I think when people see these freshmen that come out and ball out like that, it's a little misleading to how difficult and how much time it takes to really make a difference on the field.
0: Sure, I'm curious, yeah. do you do you compare it more towards, like, I'm curious, do you think that that curve is greater for the incoming freshman into college or the incoming rookie into the NFL as we're seeing, you know, that, you know, it's, it seems like it's, you know, we've seen it a little bit. Rookies either, you know, get it right away and are getting into an opportunity where they can succeed, you know, particularly wide receiver. You know, we could have, um, you know, look at a guy like Hodgins. I mean, you know, if he didn't mm-hmm. land on short-term IR to start out the year, no, oh, that's a yeah. good offense on a team that, you know, I mean, he might have gotten some, some good run and still might this year. So, you know, what what is that kind of learning curve, do you think? Um, I mean, I guess I don't really have super much experience because I never really got
1: the opportunity to play in the NFL yet. So, But I, I will say that when you draft someone with a first, second, third-round pick like that, you're not – you're drafting them for the potential, but you're also drafting them with the expectation that they're going to play and they're going to, you know – be a contributor that year Uh, except for maybe quarterback i think that's the one position that you know many times they they sit out a year or so but i think expectations wise when you have a recruit when you're recruiting say a five star most of them you'll expect to come in and make a make a splash right away but for anything lower than that i think that colleges are realistic with the fact that they're not going to walk in and just be the guy right away and uh so I, I I don't know. I, I guess I don't have a ton of experience for rookie NFL, but yeah, I know that even coming from junior college to college, like it was it, the, just the speed difference is huge. And I imagine it'd probably be the same for the next level.
2: The high school football in Texas just got started uh, this past weekend. Uh, so a little bit later than than normal, but not too not too far set off for them. Now that being said, they've had to deal with the dead periods and you know just all the stipulations that have come from from everything that you know to bring up COVID. Hopefully, one last time uh, has has brought upon all these 2021 guys. Do you think that you know you already mentioned that there definitely you know there's a there's a significant amount of coaching that that has to go into you know becoming a an impact guy from in year one. Do you think that the lost time that these kids have have had to suffer because of you know them not being able to set whether it's seven on seven or just just regular spring ball with their high school teams, do you think that's going to impact them even more? Where you could you know potentially see it even you know uh, like just across the across the chart, you know across the whole country, uh, a smaller amount of freshmen being ready to go.
1: Um, I don't think it'll affect them too much, just because they can get some games in and just getting pads and helmets back on, and if they're allowed to early enroll, then I think that didn't catch back up to speed but I, I think that it really hasn't hurt anyone in terms of recruiting that already had a bunch of offers and so you know there's not a lot of kids surprisingly that go into their senior year and all of a sudden they blow up but like, that's not that common and i mean there are kids that happens too but right if, if you're not highly recruited going into your senior year you're probably not going to be super highly recruited regardless of how you do like i didn't play a lot up until my senior year which is why I went to junior college first and um, I, I think there's going to be a lot more people taking that route and I think junior college recruiting next year could be a little more filled with talent than usually is because I think there's going to be more people willing to take a risk yeah. on trying to get a bigger scholarship than taking that smaller scholarship that you know that was their only option.
2: Just one more for me just because you, br- you brought up junior college and I- I think, you know, that kind of strikes my mind a little bit. I, if you've been paying attention to, to Oregon State recruiting these last couple of years, they've definitely dipped a lot into the JUCO ranks uh, under this staff. And I, I I like it a lot. I think, uh, you know, there's a ton of talent that's already been discovered. You're an example of that in, in those ranks. And uh, I'm just i I'm more curious, you know, they have a lot of guys, particularly in the secondary and the last class, that are kind of shaping up to uh to make a really really good impact overall do you just see do you see that you know landscape becoming a bigger reality for a lot of these schools um
1: i i think some of the bigger schools are just going to kind of stick with what their plan is uh i think that some of the smaller fbs schools are smaller power five schools will try to you know see what they can find in junior college. And one thing about junior college, it's a much less risks that people don't really realize because let's say you go and you, you find a high school kid and you give him a scholarship and he comes to you. I mean, he probably red shirts, but if he's, if he's just not good and like, it's just not going to work out, you're going to be stuck with that kid for four to five years. And that's going to be a scholarship gone for four to five years. But if you go to junior college and maybe three hours there for three years, most, most people only have two. Yeah. So, if a guy comes in, you're like, oh man, we missed on this one. The scholarship is back in two years rather than you know sitting there for five. Yeah. So I think that's why right. people are a little more ready to pull the trigger on junior college, and so you get some of those that uh, you know watching the highlight tape, like really that guy got an offer from from there, just because they're they're a little they're 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 willing to take more risk because the you know the negative consequence there is not nearly as big as if you're recruiting a high school kid.
0: Yeah. And, you know, that's actually an interesting point, Tim, because, you know, you, you bring up the fact that you're kind of stuck with those you know potential kids for four or five years. I feel like more and more you're seeing now, you know, guys that aren't going to play kind of, you know, see the writing on the wall and look for different situations. And I think kind of the transfer portals also kind of allowed for that opportunity a lot more, which I think is better for the kids. Because You have a great point. You know, if you happen to you know be really good in high school, maybe you just don't transition to power five. You know, maybe you're more suited for. Um, you know, one of the uh, group of five schools and, you know, the competition level they have, you know, being able to have that portal the ability to kind of have flexibility uh, is certainly nice, but just to wrap up the point on, on Valson before we get into the schedule, I'm kind of curious what your, what uh, your most fond impressions were of uh, Ketense Hinson and just kind of uh, him as a receivers coach and um, his kind of, you know, obviously, you know, he, you guys weren't like talking recruiting or anything, but just kind of the mindset that you think that he you know, presents and the image that he presents on the recruiting trail as, you know, Jared and I've said, you know, Zariah Beeson, you know, nice pickup last year. And, you know, now you got uh, uh, Jimmy Valson coming in this year as well, both uh, from the hands of Henson.
1: Yeah. I, I, I love, I love Fence a lot. He's one of my favorite coaches I've played for, but he, he's someone that he sees, he sees how you play. He's never going to try to change who you are fundamentally. Like, he'll try to obviously make you better and, make your strengths better and build your weaknesses up, but he's never going to just try to break you down and try to make you someone that you can't be. And I think that you, you've seen that throughout the the last two years. And you look at some of the guys he's been able to work with that. If you just looked at them on the surface, you would put them in, you know, you they peg you peg them for the wrong spot that they that wouldn't fit in. I mean, you look at someone like champ, you look at him and you think, what, what do you think first? You slot receiver. That's the only thing he can do. But if you look at the last two years, he hasn't really played any slides, but he's been really successful on the outside. And I think that that makes my point right there is that
0: Fence.
2: Oh, we temporarily lost Timmy. We'll go ahead and get. Oh, there he is he's back on.
1: that one out of the. We're not alive, right?
0: We can edit it. Can yeah.
1: Doc, no, we'll edit that out. Yeah, I was, you know, fence is good at looking at someone and seeing the best they can fit into this offense. And um, I think that receivers going forward with the guys they have, you know, you get Trevon back for the whole year. Um, the champ obviously looked really good, Lindsey looked really good, and, you know, Josiah uh, towards the end of the year. And then when I was back in, um, in Corvallis for spring ball, and I got to watch a little bit. I forget his name, but that kid from Florida State. He caught a slant round. Yeah. Harrison, yeah. He caught a slant, and he was just gone. And I was, like, looking around, like, who is that kid? I, and I had never <laughs> seen him before. And so that that guy's got some talent, too. And I think that they're going to have a good year in, in that room.
0: Yeah, it's interesting you bring up Trayshawn Harrison. You know, uh, we've, we've, we've heard, uh, you know, the status of his eligibility is still kind of in question, depending on how, uh, or rather his immediate eligibility is still a little bit in question. But the Beavers were optimistic he and then uh, also a guy that caught my attention was Trey Lowe, you know, kind of wide receiver running back combo. The Beavers uh, got from Washington uh, also was there for a little bit of spring ball is as, as short as it was Timmy, It feels like spring ball was not only forever ago, but I think Oregon state got three or four practices. In. Can't exactly quite recall, but uh, yeah, no, it's, it's interesting to hear, you know, your uh, take on fence just because, you know um, the, the track record he's had of getting the most out of his guys and, you know, the the offensive, you know, passing yardage, definitely when Jonathan came in and, you know, kind of started to establish, you know, get that into that rhythm with Jake and, you know, saw, you know, what he was able to accomplish and kind of make things more vertical. Um, piece by piece, I've kind of liked what they've done to kind of surround themselves and set, them out, set, set themselves up to be in a good spot, like you mentioned, uh, entering year three here.
2: Yeah, for sure.
0: Go ahead and uh, we'll go ahead and uh, transition over to the next part of the podcast. Again, remember, just in case you're joining us, uh, Managing Editor Brendan Sauter, Recruiting Analyst Jared Hallis, and our guest this week on the Edge Podcast, former Oregon State wide receiver Timmy Hernandez, 2016 to 2018. Probably feels like forever ago, but yet not forever ago at all, Timmy. It, it feels like you were just playing yesterday, man.
2: Yeah. Yeah, it does. It was, it was a good time. This whole Back year o- felt like a million years.
0: Yeah, <laughs> you know. I, I I can't even I can't even put like at times it's like oh yeah it feels like it's been forever but then you're like oh that was only like a year ago too it's like oh that was longer than a year it, time is just uh, fickle right now let's just put it that yep. way but yeah, uh, we, uh, we we've been talking a, a lot with Timmy and then talking uh, uh, Jimmy Valson. obviously the big news was Oregon State landing that commitment last night but uh, I want to say almost drumroll please because the biggest biggest news. Uh, actually resulted in us delaying this podcast uh, a couple times as we were we were waiting for the schedule to come out because we wanted to do a pick'em uh, with Timmy and just kind of, you know, go through the schedule. But after many weeks of deliberation from the Pac-12, you know, the schedule finally comes out. Uh, six-game schedule. The seventh game will be a play-in game that's to be determined. But uh, before we get into it, I just kind of want to get uh, your guys' initial thoughts on the schedule. Timmy, we'll start with you. Uh, and then we'll get into it with the uh, Pick'ems. All right. Um, you know, I haven't really had a huge chance to dive into it.
1: I'm assuming they're playing everyone in the north, right? Yeah, so you get everyone and, in the north plus, And then uh, plus Utah. Yeah. All right, well, um, I mean, I think just going over last year's schedule and how they played, I mean, the Stanford game, that was real close. Uh, Utah didn't go so well, but, you know, Every other one in the north, they're pretty much in it until the end, and so it's like any moderate improvement in any area, you could see some of those games swinging the other way. Um, you leach with leach leaving Washington State, that could be huge. Um, Washington new head coach coach there as well. Yeah. Like uh, you said, so, two brand new coaching staffs right out the gate. Yeah, one thing he saw, like in the beginning of the NFL season, was how big continuity was with the coaching staff and the players. And that's one thing that for the seems like for the first time in forever that Oregon State has going in its favor. So <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> we'll, we'll see. We'll see if that sticks. I don't believe they lost anyone, did they, on the coaching staff? No. I think they no. tried to pull Lindgren, but he stayed. Was yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Coach Lindgren, uh, he he probably uh, got a new backyard addition. He, he got yeah. a couple of new, a couple of new things. Oregon State took care of him to make sure he would stay. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, you know, but you that is, that Edwards, is yeah, you get her. That's, yeah, you get Herb Edwards coming after your offensive coordinator. You know, that you I know, don't know, I think Jared and I were talking about it. That's that's just good on your program. When when yeah. other programs want to take your coaches, uh, you know, no disrespect to before, but that wasn't necessarily the case. It's nice to see, you know value you know across the uh, ac- yeah. across the spectrum uh jared just kind of your initial thoughts uh, on the schedule obviously you down there in sec country you've been playing football forever so you're probably just like man, it's another schedule
2: no I-, I looked at it honest to god i mean me and mike both uh, if if you're on the damn board you saw mike singer our uh our i guess the publisher of the site he, he commented on there and said that schedule is brutal and initially, I mean, that was my thought as well. You look at that team, and it's a bunch of great teams and, and very well-respected programs. Just, you know, that's just the way the Pac-12 is, and it, it continues to improve. But, you know, I kind of looked at it a little bit, and I had to, I had to go back and look, and just remind myself, like this team, kind of like Timmy was saying, they were in pretty every, much almost every game for Utah. Uh, you know, right down to the wire. A couple, of, a couple of things go your way, then, uh, you know, they're Easily in yeah. a game last year, especially like when you know you, you go back to what I think was week two. We, we talked about this on a previous podcast against Hawaii, they would have beat that team nine times out of ten had they played them towards the end of the season. Stanford, like he was saying, was close. Washington State, wow, that was close. Yeah, we, um, we don't even
0: talk about that one. <laughs> <laughs> even, that, even that one, Stevie wasn't on the team, and he still yeah, saw that, that, that one. One's tough to watch.
1: Yeah. No, I know.
0: I firmly believe that if, if Ham doesn't break his wrist in the first half of that game, that they probably win that game. Yeah. I mean, or this, like, you know, pass interference call in the end zone was a little skeptical. <laughs> but, well, that too. But I mean, just, you know, you could tell like the last couple weeks, and, and that definitely led into, you know, Ham's decision to come back was, you know, not being able to, you know, participate in the combine and then obviously work his way back. But, uh, um, yeah, certainly. You know, Jared, you hit on some good points there as well, and and I, and I want to make sure to get to all your guys' points. We'll go ahead and kick it off here. So we'll go through each of the schedule. You guys give win loss. We don't need exact predictions or anything like that. But uh, then, like you know, a couple sentences or whatever on uh, what you guys think. So we'll start off uh, Washington State, November seventh, home opener. As I say, so in the sense of a home opener, the Beavers will get to run out of their tunnel and we'll get to be in their stadium with. You know, TBD, I don't know if we're going to have, like, the NFL, artificial crowd noise and all that kind of stuff. I don't think any of that's been determined yet. But nevertheless, right, right. No, they got it all pre-recorded, ready to go as is, so maybe they're going to have to bring it out. But that first game, Washington State in Reeser Stadium, Uh, Timmy, we'll go ahead and start the round with you and work our way around. Uh, What's your thoughts on that game?
1: That's probably the the best thing they got out of the schedule was the fact that they get to play Washington State first because I mean, new head coach, new quarterback, that's a huge advantage. So I, I'll give them the win for that. I mean, especially looking at how last year was, I, I think that they they got a good chance to win that one.
2: I think I, uh, I think I'm on board with that prediction as well. Like he said, new staff, uh, you know, it's a there's some there's some fire there just because of the way last season's game unfolded. So I think they're going to come out strong, and if they're able to pull out a win there, it can certainly set the tone for, for you know, the rest of the season.
0: See, more, more so for me than this, I think, you know, again, you know, Coach Smith, Oregon State would never say this, but after Oregon State lost to Nick Rolovich when he was at Hawaii in the second game of the year last year, they've had a little bit of like that recruiting, you know, back and forth thing they had when Oregon State was – sending materials, University of Hawaii, and now Rolovich is at Washington State. Washington State obviously kept the Beavs, you know, right on the cusp of that bowl game last year, even though it wasn't quite the last game of the season. This, to me, seems like a game that the players want from playing this team last year, and the coaching staff is going to want, because they're like, you know, that Hawaii game in week two would have been the difference in a bowl game, and I think Oregon State knows that, you know, like, you know, that game was right there, so... I'm picking the beeves in this. You know, you said the unfamiliarity. Oregon State's got three years of, you know, knowing each other and being in that system, three years plus now. And uh, against a new staff, I like their odds. So we all got them at one and I also I think that, uh,
1: that that Oregon game for Tristan was huge because you're not going to face a better defense than Oregon in the, the Pac 12. And the way he played in that game, they only scored 10 points, but they he looked good in that, especially being thrown in the fire in his first career start. And so I, I think that he's going to do better than most, most quarterbacks that are starting for the first time.
2: That's you great. had to
0: mention that. You had to mention that Timmy. Uh, Jamar Jefferson fumble will always wonder what if, as you know, Jebbia was leading that great drive, you know, down at the end of the game, that one, uh, you know, actually, you know, basically the last drive of Oregon state's, you know, 2019, uh, football season, but yeah, you know, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll get into him for sure as we get through it. But, uh, you know, a lot of people, whether it's you, whether it's you, whether it's other media types have been saying that, you know, him getting thrown into the fire, Timmy, you play, you know, and obviously know what kind of environment that is, or rather not necessarily will be this year, but what it was in the past, how much did that help him just to take a quick little sidebar? You mentioned it. uh, How much, how much did did that help Tristan?
1: I I mean, we we played at you know, Minnesota home opener, Ohio State home opener. We we played at some pretty big stadiums. I like I hate to give him credit for it, but that was the most insane environment I've ever had to go into. I couldn't hear anything. We had to change our In huddle. 2018. 18. Yeah, we we could not hear anything. Daryl was saying it was for him to perform the way
0: he did. And I don't even think they knew that he was going to start the whole week either. Did they? Or, no, are, are you're referring to, unfortunately, 17, the end of, you know, the yeah, Anderson yeah, yeah. slash yeah. Hall Andrew era. When, era. Yeah, yeah, that one. I, I imagine but, that game was tough on, on a multitude of levels. But, yes, yeah. I mean, but just from a uh,
1: just like an environment standpoint, that was probably the most difficult place I've ever had to play. For him to play the, the way he did in his first career start it says a lot about the player that he can be.
0: So right now on this podcast, you're saying Austin Stadium was tougher to play than the Horseshoe, tougher to play than Ohio. St- I mean, granted, well, I get it. Ohio State's probably not going to be going nuts for Oregon State as they would yeah. say Michigan, but still, yeah, I that's, I thought that, that's that would tough.
1: change it. Like if if that was Michigan, the big house. I mean, Michigan in the Horseshoe or Ohio State in the big house, that's hard to top. A hundred thousand people yelling, but just I I couldn't hear anything in that stadium, mm. and there, there was. Daryl was standing right next to me, and I—I I could like I was trying to read his lips at that point. Like it, you couldn't hear yourself think. And I mean, there was a lot of stuff in the media going into that game, but so you know, fans were just nonstop yelling, and it was yeah. yeah, it was it was a lot. And I'll give them credit for having that environment, but it was uh, I'm glad Tristan got, got to play that, and hopefully from here it'll be much easier the rest of his career.
0: Yeah, I have to ask, Timmy, you said you couldn't hear Daryl on the on the touchdown catch that you guys, you know, connected on. Could you hear him on that play? Because that was quite the. Uh... We,
1: we, for a lot of the game. we Whenever we huddled, we had to all like go in a circle around Daryl and kind of stick our heads in. Uh, and most a lot of the game, we just didn't even huddle. We just did all signals. So I think on that play, we just signaled it in so I didn't have to crazy
0: uh we'll go ahead and uh uh, keep it moving along uh after uh, oregon state in all of our words goes one and oh against washington state they go up to seattle they'll play washington and again normally the u Dub's got a pretty raucous environment you know a lot of fans right there beautiful atmosphere i'll say you know arguably one of my favorite atmospheres in college football now uh up there in uh seattle no chris peterson anymore everyone you know that news kind of You know, I feel like with, you know, COVID and everything that happened, it hasn't, you know, kind of maybe set in that like Jimmy Lake's the guy up there now, a relatively unknown commodity outside of, you know, being a tremendous defensive coordinator for them all those years. But uh, another new head coaching situation and another new kind of staff falling into place. The Huskies are obviously breaking in a new quarterback after Jacob Eason went to the pros. Um, Timmy, we'll start with you. What's your feeling uh, going up to an empty Husky stadium? That one, um, I would say it's a little different than
1: hiring a new head coach who brings in his whole staff. I, I didn't look into like who he kept, but I don't remember hearing anything about them losing a bunch of assistants. Yeah, so there are some familiar, familiar there. Pretty cohesive, yeah. Yeah, so I I think that that's not going to be a, a big hindrance on them coming out earlier in the season. Um, I don't know. I mean, honestly, I'd love to just say 6-0 all wins because if I if – I, when I say a loss, I know someone's going to text me like, come on, man, you just said we're going to lose that game. Uh, I, I All just say, I, that's that'll probably be up up there with Oregon as they're probably their one of their toughest games.
2: Yeah, I, again, I, mean, I can certainly get on board with that. I think it'll be a, a tough one for sure and one that's hard to predict. I think Timmy's got a, a little more on the line than me. Uh, I don't think anybody's going to ring my phone if I predict a loss, but you know, with that being said, I I, I kind of do think there's a, a chance here. Uh, you know, if, if they are able to get that Week One win in Washington, uh, or I'm sorry, Washington State, I'm gonna I'm a, I'm gonna say they get the win at, at Washington too. It's gonna be dependent on that first win though.
1: I will say, even last year with Jacob Eason, though they still only scored 19 points. The defense played really well. Jaden had the pick six that game. So offensive. with the new new head coach, new quarterback, they do have that going for them. So I think if the offense can control the ball and move it the way that they did every other game except for Washington last year, I think
0: that they'll have a better chance that people realize. You know, know, I've been saying it for a couple years, and Timmy, I know you were only around Coach Smith for one year, but just knowing what you know about him, do you think there's a burning desire to get Washington and just to beat UW knowing – That's where he came from. You know, he, you know, it was a tough game in 2018, a tough game last year, but, you know, not necessarily like out of reach, you know, not lopsided concept. You think there's an extra care factor. Like he, you know, it's less now. I think that Chris Peterson's not there anymore, but you know, maybe that finally has something to do. I mean, more than anything, I continue to say that I think coach Smith probably has the most wherewithal and know about, uh, you know, as far as that program and what they, you know, genuinely like to do. And, you know, I've been saying for a couple of years, you know, maybe I thought last year they might get them, but it's interesting. The the great equalizer for me in this is not having that crowd because, you know, while the Beavers did play, you know, very well on the road last year and, you know, it was odd how much, you know, they were almost more productive on the road than at home. Uh, It's, you know, knowing the leadership on this team and, you know, this year I mentioned it in the. Story at Beaver's Edge earlier this week. I feel like this year, kind of like the NBA bubble, players are going to be required to manufacture their own energy and whichever team can kind of bring their own passion. I, th- I think that really could, you know, help lead a-, a lesser talented team over a more talented one just simply for the fact that, you know, I don't think these 18 to 23 year old kids really understand the impact of what it's going to be like to get out into a stadium and have no fans. I mean, you talk about like other you know, stadiums or conferences, there's some fans, right? There's 20%. There's 10%. I mean, none. I mean, I get, you can get crowd noise, but just, you know, you got to figure whether it's looking up and seeing empty stands. I mean, it's still kind of eerie for me to see, like last night, I was watching Monday night football and seeing Lambeau field empty. Yeah. Like, you know, that was weird. And I, and I think that's, you know, as a professional, I think that's a little bit different. You've been in it and I'll know all that, but if you're a college guy that kind of, you know, I would, you know, really base his energy off of, you know, the crowd roaring after you after a sack or, you know, you make a crazy, you know, highlight reel catch and you fire up the whole stadium and everybody's juiced. It's not going to quite be that easy this year. So I'm curious to know how that kind of plays out. Um, I think it's going to be a tough game. I don't see the beeves getting the win uh, against Washington, but nevertheless, we'll see how it shakes out. Coming back home November 21st, Cal, this was a surprising win for the Beavs last year. Uh, very few expected the Beavers to go into Berkeley and beat the Bears last year. And uh, with the exception of Cal not having their starting quarterback, he is Chase Garber as we back this next year. Uh, the Beavers really handled the Bears uh, in that contest and played really good game. They're back home. I think Justin Wilcox is going to be motivated to have his guys ready. But I still like the Beavers in this one. Timmy. Um, and the California
1: before everything happened was kind of a trendy pick in the Pac-12. But yeah,
2: remember.
1: so yeah, I mean, they got their quarterback had Toch back and that, that game last year was really close. But they did go down on the road and it was kind of capped off by BJ's run. And he was mm. like absolutely ran through their defense. Yeah. So that was that was cool to watch. But yeah, yeah I mean, back home, I, I will say the, the without all the crowd noise and all that, you don't have a huge home field advantage. I'll say that they probably have a better home field advantage than anyone because whenever I talk to people, either I played against or staff that went to Oregon State or ones that actually came there when I was playing, we always ask them what it was like playing against Oregon State because we always thought that they would hate the locker room because the, lock, the way locker rooms is actually in Gill. So they have to like walk right across the street into the stadium. But the right. thing that everyone always said was they hated playing on the field at Oregon State because since it rains so much, like you've been, I'm sure you guys have been on the field, how slanted it is. Like if yeah. you lay down, if you, you you can't really see it on TV when you're in the stands but if you're on the field and you, if you lay down on one side, you can't yeah. see
0: the other sideline because it's yeah. like a hill in the way. Wait, so you, cool. uh, Yeah. So I so I'm wondering if that's the case, Timmy, I can I'm going to botch my memory. I can't remember if it was Coach Smith's first season or if it was last year where they got the penalty for Champ laying down in the end zone on the kick return and basically being invisible with a black jersey in that black end zone. And, you know, is that kind of that sight line that you're mentioning? It, it's maybe? more like it's the middle of the field as in like from end zone to end
1: zone. So if you're standing in one end zone, you can see the other end zone fine. But it's from it from one side to the like the the highest part is in the middle in between the hashes. So I don't think that that one would hide. I don't think that would hide them at all. But <laughs> I, I don't think it, it's going to play a huge advantage. But it is like if you watch a warm up. Some quarterbacks will tend to sail it a little bit as they're trying to. It's almost like you're throwing downhill a little bit when you're the quarterback from the middle of the field throwing to the sideline. So, right. I mean, I don't, I don't think it's going to play a huge advantage, but, I mean, I, they do have that going for them.
0: <laughs> Jared, uh, over to you for Cal.
2: Yeah. Would well, that remind me? I know it was uh, either Cal or UCLA today. They, they jumped on them quick. They were up 21-0. UCLA like,
0: was a lot more lopsided contest. Cal was closer.
2: Yeah. Okay. I remember one of the California teams they jumped on We're up 21-0 pretty, pretty quickly. Uh, but I definitely remember them beating Cal last year because I, I think we both picked them to not win that game last year. <laughs> so uh, if uh, if history is any indicator, if I pick against Oregon State, they win. Um, so maybe <laughs> I sh- maybe won't win this game and, and they will. But now nah, I think I think they have a pretty good chance. I, again, you know, it took me it took me revisiting the team last year and seeing what they're returning to to realize like, hey, this actually could you know be a pretty good year. Probably pretty crazy for me to say they're going to be three and zero, but uh, hey, you know you never know what can happen. I'm I'm gonna, I'm going to say yeah.
0: Okay, now we now we move along to uh you know can't uh, can't say it anymore the Oregon Oregon State rivalry as we now know it name TBD Timmy uh, you know I've uh, uh I'm curious uh, just real quick uh, any any renamed rivalry names that have kind of come to come to fruition kind of since you've uh, been away from the program for like nah. the war nah. war for the planet or is it always going to be civil war in your mindset
1: uh, i mean apparently at espn it's a civil war so <laughs> i saw that the other day i <laughs> love well, yeah. you saw yeah, they flashed up the oregon state oregon and they said like 115 civil war whatever number it was because they're still calling it that but uh, i don't know i'll 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 i'll,
0: I'll skip that question <laughs> Well, let me put it to you this way. When I saw it, I go, there's probably an intern that's, you know, maybe, maybe you need to get to talking to after that one. But, uh, you know, the game itself, again, we just to kind of give you a perspective, Timmy, of what we've seen at Beaver's Edge, every, just about I would say 90 to 95% of the fans that are on this website have been irate with that game being moved to the middle of the season, regardless of whether or not they could attend or not. I'm curious to you as a player, did it matter when you played them specifically? I mean, you got a, you got a chance to go up against them three times. Are you very familiar with that rivalry? But, you know, I find it odd. I think they should have done all they could have to put it near the end of the year. But Beaver fans, like we can say, have been pretty fired up about it. Uh, I
1: think that having it at the end of the year is kind of cool just because there's kind of more things on the line usually then. And it's just it's nice to end with the rivalry game, just kind of keep you you motivated there. But in terms of when you play it, I don't think it really matters. But if if they do switch like halfway through the year and say we will, we're allowed to bring fans in now, then then yeah, that will hurt them a lot because if you're allowed to even have half the stadium, that can make a huge
0: difference, especially on a rivalry game. Certainly. And, and again, the, it'll kind of feel like old times, but not really is, you know, the, the game itself is scheduled to take place right after Thanksgiving, the Friday after Thanksgiving. So it really will feel like normal times, you know, with the exception of having, you know, three more contests after it. So, um, you know, for me, you know, I'm not going to I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Mario Cristobal and company have built one heck of a program down there. Um, their recruiting classes speak for themselves. Their talent speaks for themselves. Um, you know, Oregon State's at home. I know Coach Smith is due to get a win against Oregon. I don't know if it's this year. Uh, on paper, the Ducks look really, really strong, and I think they're probably going to come out with a dub.
2: Yeah, I'm kind of on that same same uh, thought process myself. I just feel like in a six-game season, you know, with, with Ball, you know, doing the things that he's done, they might come out and win them all. You never know. yeah um, mm-hmm. Uh, I, I just I don't know about this one. They've had some guys opt out, uh, and, and you know, last year's game was closed. and it'll it be Tristan, it'll be Tristan's second game against them. So I mean, you know, you, you really never know. It's hard. You to, don't. It's hard. It's like almost picking against Alabama or something like that. I wouldn't put them quite on that same level, but you know, they're a heck of a team. So it, it's just hard to pick against them. Uh, so I, I'm just gonna leave it at that. I don't, I don't want to say. Not, don't want to predict the win just yet.
1: Uh, that is that's a big advantage. You mentioned that Tristan did play them last year. And that's the only team really got to extended playing time because that's something you can look back on to last year and you have that familiar familiarity with how you played against those players and what you what you remember in terms of what you saw them do on the field. So I mean, I'll, I'll give them a win. I'm not going to pick Oregon, so
0: <laughs> I'll pick Oregon State. I'll, yeah, I wouldn't but, expect I wouldn't expect anything else from the Oregon anything. State alumni. And you know, it's like I said, you know, anything can happen in rivalry games. And you know, Jared, you said it best. I mean, you know, Oregon, you know, you know, we we don't even have to uh, have to sugarcoat it here. They, you know, the situation is the Pac-12 would like to see Oregon run the table and be in a position to be in the Pac-12. You know, uh, to be in a position to have the Pac-12 represented in the playoff. You know, I think they've kind of given those opportunities to both Oregon and USC as kind of the, the favorites. And, you know, fourth game of the year, anything could happen. And, you know, the other thing that we just saw in the NFL with Cam Newton, we don't know how COVID-19 is going to affect anything on a week-to-week basis. You know, say one week, you don't have your starting quarterback. You don't have your best wide receiver. You don't have your center. You know, I mean, who we don't know exactly what it is. But this last weekend, for me, at least seeing, you know, the money machine that is the NFL, you know, not be able to get around that, you know, the, you know, um, I don't want to say quarantine was broke. But, you know, the fact that the virus was able to penetrate, you know, a locker room and knock out a starting quarterback. And that's why the Patriots rolled out with Brian Hoyer and Jared Stidham the other night and ended up in a loss. So, you know, if that's happening at the highest level. You have to know that could happen, and that's where, you know, everyone's got to be on their toes as far as, you know, being ready and, you know, staying ready and knowing that an opportunity could come your way. Um, we'll round out the home slate. As uh, Oregon State had three out of their first four at home, um, Washington State, wa- uh, then at Washington, Cal, and Oregon. Now they go on the road, Utah. Again, a very lopsided contest last year, 52-7, to seven, if I remember correctly, in Reese Stadium usually the Mighty must Utah student section, Utah itself, tough place to play. Not so much this year. So I'm curious uh, how much that kind of negates, you know, that atmosphere in Utah. Um, But again, Kyle Whittingham and company always, 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 always. I mean, Kyle Whittingham and company, they are as as consistent as it comes in the Pac-12 as far as, you know, year in, year out. They're going to be a bowl team. They're going to be a physical, tough defensive team. But at the same token, I think Oregon State this year has the depth to go toe-to-toe with just about anyone in the conference. I'm going to go with this as, as a toss up game. I'm not going to say win or loss yet. I get Utah's talented, but they lost a lot on defense this last year, especially to the uh, to the draft. So we'll see what happens. It's later in the year, but, uh, you know, I, I think there's, there's some life there.
1: Yeah, and uh, I think last year Utah – so my brother actually played at Utah. He played for Kyle Whittingham. So, you know, they always had everything uh, ready to go. They're very experienced. And that was when he was his first-year head coach, and he's been there now for, what, 15 years. So mm. he, he knows what he's doing. Uh, he hasn't been there that long because he doesn't. So I think it'll be a difficult game for them. But looking back to last year, you could clearly see Utah's game plan on defense was we are going to line up – I think his name is Jalen Johnson. He went to Utah. I'm not, I'm not yeah. sure. And said so we're going to line up Jalen across Isaiah Hodgins, and we're going to win that battle. And I, I think, you know, over Isaiah's three-year career, I think that was the only time he ever really didn't win that one-on-one b- battle. And you can right. see how that stalled the whole offense. And I think that's almost a benefit this year is that they don't have that alpha receiver in terms of where it's going to funnel targets to this guy. I, I think Trevon will probably come back as their leading receiver, but they can move him around so much. And exactly. I think it's going to be hard to target him with the other guys that they have that have been able to step up. And I think it's going to make the game plan attacking Oregon State a little bit difficult for Utah, especially a team that, as when I remember when we played them and just watching them for the last 15 years with Coach Witt, they love playing man coverage, and yep. we got some guys, we got some guys to play there. And if if the O line can give Tristan time, where well, they're going to be able to do some damage. And then on the flip side, they they seem to run all over our defense last year. But after that game, there really wasn't a team that really pounded it into them on the ground i mean that was really after that they i mean arizona scored 38 points on them but that was that was a blowout game arizona scored a bunch of garbage time points sure. arizona state had, had a solid game against them but I me mean, really everyone else hit them through the air and i i think that maybe that was a sign for better things to come and hopefully this year they they do that better on the run because utah's never been an elite passing team so if they can stop the run and win against man coverage on offense, I think they have a good chance on that one as well. Yeah. I love that analysis,
0: Timmy. That's golden. That's great.
2: Absolutely. And just kind of furthering that point, I read that they lost nine starters on defense. So, I mean, they're going to have their hands full replacing those guys. That team
0: was stacked. I mean, that defense for Utah last year was stacked. They were really, really good. And, and again, outside of, you know, the, the crazy thing people forget, and, you know, at the time, Utah's one bad Pac-12 championship game with Oregon away from arguably being the four seed and the, or at least having a shot ch- a shot to be in the college football playoff last year. You yeah. know they they you know they you know laid an egg and I, I'm going to say it that way because they did laid an egg against Oregon in that championship game and really weren't competitive in it to a certain degree as the Ducks you know went on in the Rose Bowl but they came that close and maybe that's you know why they didn't you know make the playoff and so on and so forth but at the time when they ran over Oregon state, they, they were full steam ahead and even they were dreaming playoff at the time. So, yeah. you know, much different circumstances this year. Um, it'll be interesting to see how that one shakes out. And uh, we'll wrap up to the final regular season uh, game. Uh, that's going to be wrapping up at Stanford down on the farm. Um, I, I just like this game. Um, I'm, you know, I, I don't want to count out David and on Stanford, but They've been slipping the last couple of years from where they were, maybe say three, four, five years ago. And Oregon State played them tough. They're just due to get a win. I mean, Timmy, I'm sure uh, you remember the uh, the heartbreaking year where you know Ryan Nall, you know, lost the ball to Stanford at the end in 2017, yeah, where that right, game was. That, I mean, I will never forget seeing on ESPN a 99.9 percent win probability chance on that last drive. Stanford got him there. Stanford got him in 19 as well. I, I just I think the Beavers are due to get Stanford. They're due to get past David Shaw, and I like them in this game. I really do. Yeah, I, I honestly don't know much about Stanford. Um,
1: I was at that game last year, actually, but I, I, since I was there, actually, I didn't have the great chance to watch because I was just talking to everyone that I hadn't seen in a while. It's really the one game right. I didn't get to sit down and watch. Um, but yeah, I agree with you. Stanford is is slipping a little bit, and it's – Oregon State is more going the other trajectory. So I think that they, they could get them. And I mean, that's the one game that will probably be very similar to normal because there's not usually any fans
0: there anyways. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's 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 quiet. I mean, hey, hey. in all fairness, you know, they're too busy getting their 4.0 GPAs. But you know how it is. <laughs>
1: yeah. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I, just, I I do. I like their chances. And you know, they don't have that. They don't have the McCaffrey. They don't have the uh, – the guy after, I forget his name, but he was, he was legit talent too. Bryce, and, Bryce Love. Yeah. Bryce yeah. Love, Bryce Love. I mean, he was, I think it was the Heisman final. I don't know how I forgot his name, but yeah. And so I think they, they will struggle with that. I mean, that's why my senior junior year, they struggled a little bit with us because they didn't have uh, Bryce Love that game. I remember that.
2: Yes. And
1: uh, so I think they struggle without that guy. They can just give the rock to, and then play good defense. So they're going to be able, they're going to struggle on offense a little bit. And it all it takes one big play on offense for the Beavers to get a little, bit of a, a little bit of a lead and then protect it.
2: Yeah, no, I mean, I think you guys are on the right track there. They, uh, they're certainly a program that's been kind of weird to see. You know, they, they continue to do well uh, on the recruiting front, but it hasn't really been able to translate too well to the field these past few years. And uh, as you mentioned, Timmy, the Oregon State's definitely headed in the, the opposite direction of that. Um, so it it shapes up to be an interesting game and one that to Brendan's point, you know, you you feel as if they're due for a win. Uh, So I I like their chances here and I think it'll be a really great way to wrap up the season. I think that means I would have them at either five and one or four and two. So that would I think that would be a a really great season when you you take a look at the schedule and just see, you know, who they'd have to, to beat to get to that point.
0: Yeah, you know, I think I've got him unofficially at 3-3 and or so, depending on how it works. But, you know, I think the potential for that, you know, winning season could come in week seven. And, you know, Timmy, just for you as a former player, I'm curious what you're, just to kind of wrap up this with that last week seven, how excited do you think the guys are about having like a seated game where like, you know, it's almost like a March Madness, like one game just to kind of wrap it up at the end, you know, assuming that, you know, the conference favorites are likely at the top, not to you know, assume Morgan State won't be in the Pac-12 championship game that weekend, but I don't think the odds are super high. Um, you know, how cool is it kind of to, you know, it's potentially going to be someone they play, potentially not. We have to wait and see. But just the, the, the randomness of kind of having a, a seeded game and kind of being able to close it out with the uh, potential to, you know, get one more win. Uh, I think that they'll probably just handle it.
1: just uh, try to keep it as normal as possible. Um, I think they have a good, Got a good coaching staff together that I think they can throw a game plan together in a week without having to, you know, necessarily know who they're going to be playing. I mean, Coach Smith had that experience when he played when he coached at Washington when they were in the Pac-12 Championship. So, um, I think it'll be treated like any other game. And you know, I don't know I don't know how it works with bowl games or with that seventh game. So, assuming they play seven or eight games, I think that anything less than three or four wins would seem like an unsuccessful year and seemed like that you kind of stopped your progress on what we built last year. So I, I think the target, if, you, if they only play six games, I think three at minimum is what they want. If they play eight, you got to get four.
0: Certainly. And, and just, just to kind of wrap it up on, on this point, uh, you know, Jared, I'm, I'm kind of curious to get your thoughts on, on that final week seven uh, if you have any, but just to kind of throw this out there, because I, I teased it earlier in the podcast, Vegas came out with odds for each Pac-10, Pac-12 team. Oregon State's over-under. One and a half wins in these seven games. So that's a complete season. Um, As I mentioned on the board, I'm not necessarily a betting man, but I know there were some subscribers that were kind of getting into what I was, you know, leaning in towards. Um, If you can find a place that will, you know, take a – a wager on the over, I would recommend it because I'm pretty sure Oregon State's going to win more than one game this year. That that, that was mind-boggling for me to see. Uh, Timmy, you know, you, you've been in those situations where there's been years where there just hasn't been any preseason expectation to Oregon State. And I, I almost think that's kind of like how the Beavers how the Beavers like to operate. They're not flashy, but, you know, mm-hmm. you guys, you know, the, the work is done. I mean, I'm sure guys don't pay attention to any of that stuff. They just go out and all. I mean, you you try not to pay attention, but it's it's with the world that we live in now, it's
1: impossible not to see everything. Even if even if you're trying not to see it, you'll see it. So, I mean, actually, it's a very similar scenario. Other than you know, COVID and playing a shortened season, it's very similar to my junior year because my sophomore year we came off that four and eight record, similar to the five and seven they were last year. But really, we only got blown out by I I I think Washington, Colorado, but the other ten games were you know, really neck and neck at and most of them. We had a chance at the end of the game with the ball to either take the lead or tie it. And that's very similar to what they were last year. And there was a lot of high expectations going into my junior year after getting Jake as a junior college All-American. Yeah. And all the guys that we had coming in and um, obviously that did not go as
0: planned that no you could I mean you could say like you know a nuke went off I mean you know I I, I don't like to you know draw comparisons to the past but that's naturally something Beaver fans have asked about because you know you go back you look at the the progress after 16 you close the year two big wins I mean Timmy you yourself had a game in that Arizona game uh, to close out that year and uh, then you know obviously uh, knocking off Oregon and that was after year two of that coaching era We're after that year two right now. There were a lot of expectations, a lot of, you know, what I like to say, I still think there were, you know, a lot of, you know, senior leadership and even veteran leadership on that 17 team that were talking up, you know, high expectations. And, you know, let's just say many external factors all came together and it didn't, you know, it didn't work out that way. But what do you, from your perspective, see that Coach Smith is doing differently where that upward trajectory will continue?
1: Uh, I mean I just like looking back on it it was just um it just seemed like we had a lot of talent but just one thing going bad unraveled into two into three into four I mean you look at that Colorado stake in that we played it was my goodness like we lost by 20 points they only outgained gained us by like 40 yards though it was like we were pretty much doing everything we wanted to do on offense except for we we threw a pick six that hurt us and to that leading into you know we didn't really take Portland State super serious we thought we we're gonna roll over them and that was a Nail-biter there. Yep. Um, and then it, into Minnesota. They take out an early lead. We storm back and almost tied for halftime. And then they get a couple big plays. And all of a sudden, we're losing by a lot. And then we moved into Washington State, Washington, USC. And that was like, if you look back at the 2017 at those three teams, that, that was a hell of a three-game stretch right there. Yep. Um, so I, I think that, but you look at those three teams that we played that really kind of unraveled the rest of the season. Um, I don't really see that in the Pac-12 right now. I don't see those teams that are just – you look at them and they are just super scary. On, I mean, you could say that about Oregon. They don't have the offense for that, though. They, their defense looks incredible, and it's going to be one of the best defenses they've had in, in their program for a long time. But their offense – I mean, they, they weren't even good on offense last year when they had Justin Herbert. And they lost him, and I, I'm assuming there's going to be some regression there. So, I mean, look, I look at the Pac-12 and I don't see any teams that I look at and think the talent gap there between them and Oregon State is just massive. And I think that's been a problem in years past. Is that right. You have the perfect game plan lined up, but if your players don't have that ability to play with them, there's nothing you can really do. And I, I don't think that's the case this year. So I think that one and a half is very insulting, especially considering the fact that they went four and five in the Pac-12 last year. That's... I, I think that there's, there's going to be some teams. there's some players there that were ticked off. And I think that's a little different than going to my junior year. Cause it was, a, we were kind of a like trendy pick back then. Like, Oh, look at Oregon state, how they play. They got this quarterback. Now They got all these players that are coming back. Let's they're going to do really good this year. And this is the exact opposite right now As you know, they have all, they have a lot of their team coming back and they still are only at one and a half wins. According to Vegas, that's, I I think some people take that to heart and I they they have some very uh strong willed, uh, strong opinionated people on that team as you know, we we've seen the last few months, they're not afraid to speak up. So I'm interested interested to see how they react if uh once they once they pass that one and a half win total, oh. which I which I bet probably won't be too early in the year.
0: Well here's the thing, Timmy, I'm I'm curious because you mentioned I don't I said yeah, so don't uh, I, I'm sure you still got your, your thumb on the pulse of at least a few guys you're close with still on the roster and whatnot. Uh, you know, maybe maybe before the season you're like, hey, look at this uh, extra motivation. And I'm sure, like you said, if that's you know, if it's something that you do see, and like you said, you know, unless you're you know, Jared'll appreciate this reference, you know, LeBron James on his social media lockout, you know, although for postseasons you're probably going to, you know, you're going to see stuff, right? It, it's, it's media. I mean, we're in 2020 where, you know, we can't even be in, in person with people because we're on computer screens and zooms right now. So you're always yeah. digitally connected, you know, one way or another. And I don't know my, my, my last imparting thought for this as we kind of wrap up, do you think there will be guys on this roster that see it, see that and take it personally all year long?
1: Uh, Yeah. I, for sure. I think uh, just to say one ham is definitely not going to like that when he finds out about that. Tell you that much. Um, I mean, I don't like using him as an example. I don't think he he would come back if he looked at this team and said, We can't win here. I think that he would have said, All right, I, I, I got what I came here to do, and I'm going to go to the NFL now. The fact that he came back shows that he has some belief in this team. And, you know, I, I don't think that he is you know, ignorant to the of the talent of his teammates around him are super biased obviously some bias there but I think that he sees the potential in this team and you know I think they got the right
0: guys at the top and I think they'll they'll do better than people expect. Jared, uh, parting thoughts from you uh, as we kind of start to wrap up the podcast. We ended up going quite a bit longer than, than I expected, but this was uh, quite the quite the awesome conversation. You know, it feels like we were talking about Jimmy Valson months ago. But, uh, Jared, just just to, just to you to kind of uh, wrap it up here as we uh, conclude this edition of the Edge Podcast.
2: Uh, yeah, it's been great. I mean, we certainly appreciate you, Timmy, for coming. It's been incredible to have you perspective. I think we yep. really appreciate that. Uh, but yeah 1.5 is, is certainly insulting uh, there's uh, i am going to put some money on that let's just say it.
0: <laughs> yeah i mean i'm probably going to be there i mean it, it it yeah i mean you
2: know yeah, i don't
0: know it, if it, legal, it, i don't know if i'm legally allowed to bet on that <laughs> no but it's it's interesting because i remember um, you know, uh, you know, I remember, you know, having, you know, conversations, and it was kind of similar. I think, if I can remember correctly, Timmy, going into that 2017 year, that had the expectations, the Vegas over under win total was 2.5, and that year, as we know, ended one and 11. So well,
2: I want to say this too that if this was a regular season, there's zero doubt in my mind that Oregon State would be making a bowl game. Like I, I just
0: yeah, no, I agree. I have
2: no doubt so. It's certainly like 1.5, but you have to kind of put it in a perspective because it is. A but six. out
0: of seven, though, 1.5 out of seven. I mean, even an even a flat
2: two, I feel, wins. would be. So yeah, I mean, if you put it in that into that perspective, it's still pretty insulting because I I would certainly have them over three wins in a 12 game season. So uh, i I'm, like yeah. I said, put money on it.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it's going to be interesting. I mean, like I said, for a team, you know, as Timmy mentioned, that really, you know, obviously lost Jake. You know, and lost a you know a couple a couple big guys up front. You know Blake and Gus and um, oh draw, goodness, I'm I'm drawing a blank on on that uh, other offensive lineman that graduated. But uh, Blake uh, yeah, Clay as well. Again, just super super consistent group up front. But that defense, you know, didn't lose a lot. You know, I, I can you know uh, obviously you know they lose some beef up front with with Elu and obviously not having Jordan Whitley for this season. Again, prayers up to Jordan. You know, uh, in his situation. Uh, hopefully get some more clarity on that but returned a lot and like you said earlier in the podcast timmy some continuity and i think that could really give oregon state you know a chance in every game you know when you said uh jared that you know mike mike came on the site and was like you know that's brutal and my thought was the first thing but i go this year where in 2020 we have to expect the unexpected every second of every single day
2: Maybe and this
0: well, and this team has experience, so I'm not going to say that anything's closed and shut. And that's why even as I go through this, I say, you know, there are games that look more winnable and games that, you know, look tougher. But I don't want to say anything's closed and shut, because we have no idea how these teams are. We have no idea which one of these programs maybe didn't take their offseason training program as, you know, close and regimentally. Maybe some guys didn't work out. You know, you got guys that maybe didn't take it as seriously and come back, you know, um, in need of, you know, more than just, you know, training camp or. The other big key is we see in the NFL injuries, yeah, injuries, 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 injuries. Um, you mm-hmm. know, I, I think, I think just about everyone that, uh, follows the NFL or plays fantasy football has realized just how, how intense this year has been for injuries at the pro level. And, you know, that's why everyone's being really, really careful in the ramp up, you know, to make sure that uh, college guys don't, don't go through the same thing, but, uh, Nevertheless, uh, you know, all, all, all in due time. And I think that's why the PAC 12 did a good job of making sure to have six weeks of ramp up time and, uh, doing that fair. But I just think there's a lot of, a lot of unpredictable variables this year. Like I said, maybe one week Oregon state plays a team that doesn't have a starting quarterback because he tested positive or doesn't have something like that, as I mentioned earlier. So it's impossible to go through this and say for certainty, like a normal year, what's going to happen. And I think as fans and, you know, media that cover it, uh, You know, I think that just adds to more of the excitement this year. And I I can't wait that we've got Pac-12 football on the way. I'm happy we don't have to wait until January. I'm happy they got it uh, underway and figured it out. So, yeah, it's going to be exciting and, uh, you know, more exciting than that. Uh, Timmy, we appreciate you coming on, man. It was awesome to catch up with us. You gave us a whole hour of your time. Uh, uh, Yeah, just uh, means a lot to us. And we'd certainly like to do it again sometime, man.
1: Yep, anytime. Let me know.
0: All right, well, for uh, Timmy Hernandez, former Oregon State wide receiver and uh, recruiting analyst Jared Howes' managing editor, Brendan Slaughter, signing off on this edition of the Edge podcast. Make sure to keep it locked to beaversedge.com for all the latest and breaking news on Oregon State sports as the Beavers look towards that November 7th restart against Washington State in Reser Stadium.